If you'd turn your attention to the fifth chapter here in the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, so 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12, and a two-part message, we'll finish up this first letter next Sunday along with our communion service, but a happy family. And so Paul ends by giving some final words in this first letter to the church And he does so by encouraging them, and and we see a word that begins, uh, it's found actually five times in the remaining verses of the the rest of what we call chapter five, Um, but it's the word brethren, and it really means family. The original Greek word that's used there uh, is is often translated, can be translated brothers and sisters, or family, and so he's going to speak to us as the family, because whether we recognize it or not, as the church as the body of Christ, we are actually brothers and sisters in the Lord, and thereby we are of the same family. And so in your marriage, you may be husband and wife, but if you are a two believers, you are also brothers and sisters. Uh, if your children know the Lord, then your children are also your brothers and your sisters. Uh, your mom and dad are also your brothers and sisters if they know the Lord. In other words, there is an overarching thing that for us as the church, we need to remember that we are actually family. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, and thereby our lives should be marked by being in the family of God, and and because of that, there are certain things that ought to be true. And so the Apostle Paul, as the Holy Spirit instructs him, leaves us uh, with this picture of how to have uh, a happy family in the Lord. And so would you pray with me, and let's ask God to speak through the the power of his word. Father, we have again just drawn uh, to this place today as your family. Lord, we've come today... Uh, for you to speak to us through your word. And we pray that uh, as we hear and read and as we study, that our hearts and minds would be changed and adjusted. And Lord, that what you need to do in us uh, to be able to work through through us, you would do. And so we give you this time, pray that you would bless it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, and it says, And we urge you, brethren, or brothers and sisters, or family, we urge you, family of God, to recognize those who labor among you. And and so as you begin this little journey here through this particular part of this passage, you recognize, as is true within any family here on this earth, your family is no different uh, in a smaller way, that there are certain duties that are assigned to people within the family. You, you may have your family divided up amongst uh, many different things, but there are things that each one of us as an active member of any family are responsible to do. And in this case, he draws the attention to those who labor among you. He's speaking specifically of those utilizing pastoral gifts, and he tells us why, uh, that are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And so uh, that would be pastors and leaders, teachers, those who uh, have the responsibility of leadership in the church, just like you should have in your own family. Uh, when you come home, you know, the husband or the, the 
wife would like to be honored for the things that are undertaken during the day, whether it's going to work or taking care of the home, uh, ministering in those various duties that are necessary for the family to function properly. We are to give honor at home. We should do that in, in a larger way and in a broader way within the church itself. And so he says, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. In other words, there are things that uh, we do in ministry and things that are part of the ministry that we need to recognize are not the easiest thing in the world to do. And we'll break this passage down uh, a little bit once we finish getting through it. And so it says, be at peace uh, among yourselves. If you've ever gone to someone, I don't know whether you've had this opportunity or not, maybe you've gone over to someone else's home and you travel there. If you've ever been in a family situation to where there is no peace in the home, it kind of ruins it for everybody. Amen? So you, you go and you, maybe you have one of those uh, siblings within your own family unit where you can go to pretty much anybody's house, things will be well, but you go over to that one family member's home where there's a lack of peace, the family's upside down, there, there's trouble within the home, and everybody is miserable. The same is true for the church. When, when we don't get along, when there's problematic people within God's church, when we choose to do the wrong thing, when we know to do the right thing, then the whole family suffers for it. If you have people that are constantly fault-finding, ha- they have to have their way. If there is a situation that exists to where someone within the church uh, continues to stir up you know, dissension and strife, when those things happen, it affects the church as a whole. When there is a gossip, when someone chooses to slander other people, and, and then the body gathers together, the effects of all those things actually work negatively within the whole church, not just that little group. And so he's giving us pictures of how to live a good family life as the church. Be at peace among yourselves. And now we exhort you, brethren. And so he goes to a strong admonition. He's going to speak. He's he's saying, look, there's kind of a problem in this area. So we exhort you, brothers and sisters, family. And then he gives us three different groups of people and three different ways to deal with those situations. And in doing so, he's reminding us that you need to be careful about the people that you're dealing with so that you deal with them properly. Because here we have three different kinds of situations that exist in people's lives. And he begins with, warn those who are unruly. In other words, there's a time when warning is the right thing. Or, or those who might possibly be lazy is another way to look at that. Someone who, who won't do what God's called them to do. There's a time for that. But you're to comfort those who are faint-hearted or timid. In other words, when someone is already not doing too well with regard to their own picture of who they are in Christ, to warn them would be to harm them. And so we need to come alongside of that person and to uphold those who are weak. He gives us a third group of people and a third way to deal with that third group. And then finally, an overarching principle, to be patient with all. Anybody in here need patience? 
I need patience. And I want people to be patient with me. Matter of fact, it's an essential part of our human existence on this earth. Because last time I looked, there's not a perfect person in this room, including me. We all have weaknesses. We all have faults. We are all three of these things at the same time sometimes. We're weak. We're faint-hearted. We're unruly. We, we go our own way, we do our own thing, we even know to do the right thing and we still don't do it. And, and the recipe for dealing with that is patience, not perfection. Because when you hold someone to a standard that you yourself cannot keep and will not keep, you are dooming them to fail. And you're setting an expectation of someone that you are going to never see them meet. So even in your own sense of how you approach these things, you are actually not going to have a good result. And so the overarching things, be patient with everyone. Then it goes on to say, and here's those that find the answer to everything, well, I'll just get even. Uh, You know, you poke me, I'll poke you back. Brothers and sisters, that is not a biblical way to handle relationships. And in fact, it's the exact opposite of what Jesus spoke in both the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount itself, which follows the Beatitudes, and the Apostle Paul reiterates it here. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. In other words, the answer to evil is never more evil. The answer to pain is not more pain. The answer to someone's inadequacies is not for you to point out their inadequacies. The answer is don't return evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. In other words, for those in the family and those out of the family. And here's why. Because the church is not very attractive if the church doesn't act like Jesus. Then the church is just an extension of the world that oftentimes is actually worse than the way the world functions. Because you have this this mess. You, You claim to love the Lord. You claim to do what God wants you to do. But there's so much... Uh, inadequacy in your implementation that ultimately people look at it and say, well, that's just kind of hypocritic. And that is the number one thing that I have people say to me is why they don't like church. Well, it's full of, full of hypocrites. It's people who say one thing and do another. And so he says, look, do what is good both for yourselves and for others. And then he begins, and we'll actually highlight these next week, these last couple of things, but we'll look at them in a minor way today. Rejoice always. You see, a family that's full of joy, a family that's full of rejoicing is a pleasant place to be, amen? Fault finding, not so much. Even doctrinal perfection, not so much. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say, if you find the perfect church, please don't go there because you will ruin it. Right? You know what I'm saying? Isn't it true? Because, because we have our perception of what makes a perfect church. But that may, may not be everyone else's perception. Some people would say, well, this church is, is perfect. Well, no, it's probably not because it's made out of people. Amen? 
People are sheep. That's why Scripture uses That's why Jesus called us sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. The reason he called us sheep is because every once in a while we are bad. <laughs> we, we, we know what we're supposed to do. We just don't do it. And so he's given us a recipe here. He said, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Anybody in here need prayer? <laughs> I do. I do. This is sometimes just for my attitude. You know, I wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, Lord, not this. Then I realize, you know, you've got that, God. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. Have a thankful heart. That doesn't mean everything's good. Don't have an unrealistic view of what's being said here. You know, if you lost an eye, that's a bad thing. You know, some people go, oh, praise the Lord, I lost an eye today. That's not what's being said. It's in everything, give thanks. In other words, you, you, you look to God and you say, God, I don't know why you've allowed this, but my heart of gratitude is my attitude. It's the way I live my life. I have a thankful heart knowing that God, if, if nothing else, as we'll see on Thursday night, we finally have reached Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. You, you see, God is at work and so we can give thanks in all things. It may not be a good thing, but he's the God of the storm. He's the God in the storm. He's the God that will see you through the storm. And so we can be thankful that God has it under control even when we don't know how he's going to do that. And then a statement that I want you to take note of. You see, sometimes people will ask, you know, well, how do you know the will of God? Well, there are certain passages of Scripture to where we absolutely, authoritatively can say, this is the will of God, and here's one of them. You know why? Because it says, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? So what's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Who's the you? It's the brothers and sisters. It's the family of God. It's the church. What is it? That you warn those who are unruly, you comfort the faint-hearted, you uphold the weak, you're patient with all, do not return evil for evil to anyone, pursue always what is good both for you and for all, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's a pretty good family dynamic, don't you think? Can you imagine if we as a church actually did these things with zeal? Not begrudgingly, but said, you know what? You know, sometimes there are those who need a little bit of a warning. I'm going to do that when I have to. And so he breaks this down in our remaining time really into three very specific groups of people. And the first one is pastors and leaders. You, you see, one of the things that is always difficult for a pastor is to talk to you about how you ought to see me. That's never easy. Or the rest of the staff here. You know, whether it's Pastor Dave back there, or Pastor Brad standing back there. Pastor Rob's behind that wall. Pastor Brandon and Jimmy are that way. We have all kinds of pastoral staff here, all in leadership. Matter of fact, whether you know it or not, there are almost 100 full-time paid staff here at this church that are in leadership. 
All kinds of different things going on. You know, these carpets actually don't clean themselves. They're not self-cleaning carpet. So we have to have facilities and maintenance and all kinds of people doing what God's called them to do. And so he begins by kind of addressing pastors and leadership. And we as the church family, because I'm part of the family too, and as are you, as the church family, are to show honor and care and, in essence, take care of those who labor in leadership and share in the, the truths of God's word with you. It's a work of the Spirit, but here's the interesting thing. Throughout all of the Bible, the chief, the number one way that God transmits his plans is through very failed human vessels, clay pots. And so like it or not, God has actually chosen to use people to minister to people. And so those people have a difficult job. It's not easy, and this is certainly not a complaint. I love what I do. But at times, it's not easy because I have to share a truth with you, here it comes, that you may not want to hear. I might actually, you know, say something, you're going to go, I don't like that. As long as I've been accurate with God, then one day I'm going to answer to God for what I said. And that's where you can leave me in the hands of a loving God who's able to correct Pastor Jeff if necessary. But at times we think that, you know, pastors and leadership aren't human. That sometimes, you know, they're, well, they don't have any emotions. Or maybe, you know, they're unable to, to feel like regular people feel. Well, that's just simply not true. And so he begins by saying, look, those that are over you or older, the, the word that's used there, uh, your leaders is actually is the word elder, and it simply means seasoned saints, those who are over you. Our entire board is made up of pastors, seasoned saints, elders. Our church leadership made up of pastors, seasoned saints, elders, people who teach, work in the church, and, and do those things which God's called us to do. And so in that, our responsibility is to take care of them, to recognize that it's difficult at times to do what we do. One of the ways that we're able to do that is by taking care of their needs so that their needs are met so they can do what they need to do here in the church. And one of the great tragedies is that very often uh, you, you end up with a pastor that's attempting to do what God's called him to do, but he's still trying to do what he needs to do to take care of his family. We happen to have the blessing of being able to minister to our staff here to take care of their needs. And praise God we can do that. The way the Lord provides for that is through your faithfulness. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to oversee how God has so richly blessed us as we're able to take care of leadership. Now what you don't see and what you need to see is that you're also taking care of about 50 other families all over the world because they are leading churches that we have planted out of this church in the last couple of years. And so that's part of what the church does. My job is to study and to come prepared to teach you God's word. And your response to that is to do what God's called you to do in the area of taking care of the church itself through your faithfulness. And you do a wonderful job at that. And I want to commend you. 
It's a privilege. It's a blessing to be able to take care of the staff here and to see to it that they have health insurance and all those kind of things. It's all part of this big picture. And so praise the Lord for that. But God's given us some guidelines, and while I don't want to belabor it, I think it's important to realize that what's being said here in the context is is to take care of those uh, who are laboring over you. And we do that. We only have one real income stream here, and that's giving. It's that, it's that tithe. It's our offerings that we take in as, as we meet together. And so when you're doing that, you're not doing that because you're giving to me. You're not giving to Calvary Chapel South Bay. You are giving to God. And it's an act of worship. It has nothing to do with this church in that sense. It has everything to do with exactly what Psalm 24 says, is the earth and the fullness of it is the Lord's. And so we're just simply saying, God, this is your stuff. Here's some of what you've given to me. And I want to make sure that the needs of the church are met. And so thank you for your faithfulness in doing that. Uh, it, it is often not the case. And, and so we happen to have the blessing of having a church uh, that is well tended and taken care of. But those principles that we find there, and, and uh, you can read them at your own leisure, uh, provide us with a background of, of why God wants us to do this this way. Because at the end, uh, if, I, if I'm out working in the workplace instead of studying the Bible, then the Word of God suffers. Uh, If we don't have pastors to counsel, then we've got to send people somewhere else to receive counseling. If we can't take care of those who God is using to take care of us, then we end up with a a twofold problem. Now the church isn't healthy, and neither are their families. And so praise God that, that we have the opportunity Uh, to return to the Lord that tithe, that tenth, and to bless him uh, as an act of worship in our generousness. And so thank you for doing that uh, as a church. As you turn your attention now to the continuation of this thought, there in verse 13 it says, And hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. In other words, uh, I, I can tell you, as, a, as someone who uh, has this on a daily basis to deal with, I have two paths that I can generally follow when I'm talking to you about biblical issues. I can either tell you the truth and have you upset with me, or I can not tell you the truth and have God upset with me. Now, you might notice that somebody's going to be upset with me either way. So I choose generally to have you upset with me by telling you the truth, okay, just so you know. Uh, But the bottom line is, is that's not easy because people don't often want to hear the biblical truth. They're looking for you to agree with them and to validate what they already think. And I can't do that because then God's mad at me. And that's a really bad thing. Because here's the deal, that's exactly why James said there in James 3, it is best that not many among you become teachers, know this, you will suffer the stricter condemnation. Someday, I'm actually going to have to give an account for what I said to all of you. And so, I I love the fact that you all care for Connie and I in such a way that you love on us, because sometimes it's kind of difficult, And thank you for understanding that. It is 
to our best advantage for us to do exactly what God wants us to do and not simply make everybody happy. I said something a few months ago, and I think it went something like this. My job is not to make everyone happy. And someone came to me, and they actually took very grave exception to that. Well, what do you mean? You know, and they went on to tell me how they pay my salary and all that kind of stuff. And I, I thought to myself, I said, you really don't get it, do you? And, and, and as I was sharing with them, I, I, I said at the end, what scripture do you have to back that up? They said, well, it's not, it's not found in the Bible. I said, well, I think that's what I'm supposed to do is teach you what the Bible says, right? Well, no, no, that's not what you're there for. You're there to make me happy. And I said, if that's the case, I resign. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to tell you the truth. Now, sometimes that's going to make you really happy, amen? And sometimes that may afflict you a little bit, and sometimes someplace in the middle, but truth is truth. I want to be well-pleasing to God. And so every once in a while, you're going to hear something. It's going to be, mm. So check out your Bible, and if I said something dumb, you, you come and tell me I said something dumb. But if the Word actually says it, then that's from God. Amen? So he says, look, you want to live in love and peace. And here's why I say this. Ultimately, I am responsible for how I say things. That's on me. The truth is God's truth. But how I say it, how I deliver that truth, how that comes across, that's on Jeff. So in that sense, we want to make sure that we have an overarching love and an overarching peace. Because when you say something is difficult, and you say it in love, people can receive it. But if you say something difficult and you say it harshly or mean-spirited, you say it with the intent to wound or hurt, that is hard to receive. And here's what happens. Then the peace isn't there. It's not like, oh, Pastor Jeff loves me and he's telling me the truth. It's like he's trying to beat me up. I don't want to beat anybody up. I just want to be faithful to God's word. And so we try and do that so that the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And, and if we do that well, then you've probably all had this experience. There's something that's difficult that's happened in your family. There's needed to be an addressing of that situation. But when that is done in love, then peace is restored. Amen? That's the result of having things truthful. And so if we take God's word properly and apply it, it will always do what God intends it to do. And that's to convey his love, even if that love is something difficult. And then you have peace, both with your brothers and sisters in the Lord and also with God. And of course, the latter of those two things is the more important. We want to have peace with God, amen? We, we used to be at war with God, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he hath made us alive. He didn't make us alive unto sin. He didn't make us alive unto rebellion. He made us alive unto righteousness. And so we now walk in that, and, and the result is peace with God. And so if we have peace with God, and we tell each other the truth in love, then we have peace with each other too, even if it's something difficult. The remaining part of this he gives us in these last few minutes, a, a little bit of a to-do list. And it's an interesting list because notice he gives these three different conditions and three different responses. 
He says, so brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. And now I'm looking at it from the New Living Translation. So unruly, lazy, they're basically the same thing. It's someone who's kind of gone off the rails. They're, they're not playing their part. It's actually a military term, and that military term could be translated, they're AWOL. They know what to do, but they're not doing it. They have a complete understanding that they need to be doing something, but they're doing nothing. And to that type of person, the right response to someone who's like that is to warn them. To say, look, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and you're not doing it. A warning is needed in that situation. So you'll notice that these actions are proportional to what is going on. But notice what's said next. To encourage those who are timid. You see, the timid person, if you give them a warning, what do you think is going to happen to them? They're going to become more timid. They're going to shrivel up further. They're going to pull away farther. And, and they're, they're going to actually be harmed by the same warning that would be appropriate for a lazy person. And so God knows what kind of medicine each of us needs. So it's saying, look at the, look at the soul. Care for the person that you're talking to. Give what's appropriate If you want to have a family that functions well, then you need to say the right thing to the right person. And it goes on to say, take tender care of those who are weak. And I actually love this one because this is probably the one that whether you see it or not is most applicable, applicable to virtually everyone in this room. Because we look at the word weak and immediately we see it and we think without strength is, is the normal way that we would see that word, which is true, but it's way deeper than that. It's emotionally weak. It's mentally weak. It's spiritually weak. It's physically weak. It's provisionally weak. It's weak in health. It's weak in every way that you could possibly imagine it. And so what's the response to someone who's weak? It literally says, come alongside of them and bind them up or give them a hug. It means to tenderly care for a person who has a flaw or a weakness. How many people warn people who are weak? They admonish weak people. Well, you know, you're just weak. Yeah, I know that. You see, Scripture says if you want your family to live in love and peace, then when someone's got a weakness, you need to come alongside them. And the the phrase that's used there is actually the same phrase that's used to splint up a broken bone. In other words, you've got to wrap it and compress it. It's a hug. Somebody who's weak doesn't need to be further beat up. Somebody who's weak actually needs to be cared for. And very often, instead of caring for weak people, we warn them. They already know they're weak. They already know they have a brokenness in their life. They already know that they don't meet God's standard in that area. They know that relationship is not the right relationship. They they know that that addiction that they're under is destroying their life. They don't need to be beat up further. They need to be helped And I think very often we we get our doctrinal correctness in in the right way. We we know what Scripture says, but we're applying the wrong medicine. And so the medicine here is the right medicine for the situation. You know, if you've got a cough, you, you need to take 
a cough suppressant, right? The same is true spiritually. If someone's got a broken area in their life, it needs to be bound. It needs to be cared for. It doesn't mean you don't tell them the truth. It just means that the appropriate response is not, you know, well, let me warn you, brother. Sister, sure, tell them the truth, but then let them know God loves them. You see, we need to take tender care of those who are weak. And then the thing that goes over the top of all of it, be patient with everyone. He who has begun this good work in you is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know why Scripture says that? Because you're not finished. You're not done. There's not a person in here who's done. Because if you were, you'd be gone. You wouldn't be here if you were finished. You're not finished. God's not finished with me, not finished with you. He's still working in our lives. He's still working things out in our lives. Any, anybody ever agree with the Apostle Paul there in Romans 7? Those things which I will to do, those things I do not do, and those things I will not to do, those very things I do. And then what is his exclama- exclamation at the end of that passage there in Romans 7? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Amen? That's because we're not done. We need to be patient. You want the family of God to really function well? Please, in the name of Jesus, be patient with each other. Be patient with me. I want to be patient with you. And I say this to personalize it for you. It's necessary that we own it individually. Can you imagine how transformative these words would be if we could apply them to our country? You know, give the right proportional medicine to the situation. Don't just assume the worst of someone. Read Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8, and then read 1 Corinthians 13 and apply those things and say, you know, how would that look if we did that as a country? You you think our world could use a little dose of patience instead of always believing the worst about everyone and everything? And when someone's got a problem, and instead of pointing out their faults to them, actually try and help them fix it. Join together with that person and say, you know what, but for God's grace, I could be just where you are. Matter of fact, I was right where you are. It's a beautiful picture of family life. Be patient. It really is the glue that holds everything together. You know, God is patient with us, isn't he? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He suffered along while you were doing the wrong thing. He was doing the right thing. He killed his own son to prove that. Oh, that we would be patient. While, while the God of heaven is working out all the crazy differences. Can you imagine if each one of us in this room today wrote down all of our faults and weaknesses? How long do you think that list would be if we combined them all? There'd be a lot of them that'd be the same. There'd be some of them that'd be different. Oh, yeah, it'd be huge. The reality is, God's working with all of our faults and weaknesses simultaneously. It is the cumulative effect of your problems and mine, our problems as a church, our problems as a community in the world. So please be patient. Let God do what God can do.
which is to work out anything if we give him time to do it. You know, there's an awful lot of people that I, I, I call them professional fault finders. All they do is point out problems. They have no solutions to anything. They just want to tell you what's wrong. I have a tough time being patient with those people. That's an area where God has to really work in my life. Because I look at the result of carrying that thinking out every time I step up here and and I'm staring at you. I, I wonder what it would have been like for me because I can easily put myself right there in the pews with you and say, oh, praise God that you were patient with me. Praise God that you're still patient with me, Lord. That you don't hold my faults against me. That my weaknesses, though, people can see them. You help me with them. You see, these things God does for us, we should do them for each other. It should be part of who we are. It should be part of our DNA. It's that spirit-led sensitivity. And to that end, you're not going to get even. You're just going to get better. I don't know how many of you have ever struggled with anger. I don't know how many of you have ever, you know, fought that fight of, you know, feeling like you just need to be vindicated. I have. Praise God, the Lord's delivered me from it. But I remember when I was in my early 20s, maybe up to my early 30s, just angry. It's like, I can't believe I'm here. God, why did you allow this? And I remember those thoughts and how captivating they are uh, of just getting even. I can tell you it's bondage. You'll never get even. It won't happen. The enemy hangs out over your head and, well, you just need to, you know, make sure that they get theirs. You know what you're saying when you say that? (laughs) That you want to get yours. I don't want mine. I want God to take mine. That's why I said yes to Jesus. So don't get even. Try to live in kindness and gentleness and meekness. Recognize even the most hateful, hurtful person that's ever been in your life is still one day going to have to answer to God. And you should feel sorry for them, not be angry with them. You should be looking at their life going, man, I I wouldn't want to be there when they have to answer to God for this. So you should actually care for them. And what happens is you start doing good to people who have done wrong to you. And it messes with their head. They're like, what's wrong with you? Say, well, I love Jesus. And he's asked me to love you. And I won't do this. I'm going to be like him. And you do good to those who spitefully use you. You do that Romans 12 thing. You live at peace with all men. Don't take revenge. Leave place for God's wrath, as the Apostle Paul said. If your enemy's hungry, (laughs) give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing so, you'll, you'll mess with his head, her head. They'll freak out. They'll be stuck with Jesus. It's like, I can't believe this crazy Jesus freak is being nice to me. (laughs) 
Because honestly, you'll never be able to exact revenge. It won't happen. You just make yourself miserable and everyone around you. Leave it in God's hands. The result of that, verse 16. If you live like this, rejoice always. We're supposed to be a rejoicing people. We're supposed to have joy. Rejoicing is the outflow of joy in your life. When you have joy in your life, you should rejoice. That's what that word means. Rejoicing is to take the joy that's in and let it out. Amen? So, so a person who's lived like this, who's been freed from the weight of guilt, of sin, who, who's been dealt with graciously and tenderly and mercifully by God, that person has compassion for other people. And the result is, is a rejoicing heart, rejoicing attitude. That's why it says, be joyful, pray continually, give thanks. You can only do that when the family of which you remember, is doing what God's called us to do. Living the way we're supposed to live. I can rejoice. I can rejoice if for no other reason than I know one day I'm going to heaven. I can rejoice. No matter what happens here on earth, I can still rejoice. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't still bad. But I can rejoice that that's not my end. I can rejoice when I have those things in my life that sometimes I was like, Lord, I'm not sure why you allowed this, but I know who you are, and you wouldn't let this in my life if you didn't have a purpose to use it. And so we rejoice, and we pray, and we give thanks. That's what the results are of a family that's functioning properly. So I pray we live that way. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together. I want to remind you as we close in prayer how we have an awesome prayer team in our prayer room. Maybe, maybe something that I said touched your heart and you just need to go get something squared away. You need somebody to love on you. Pray for you. Pray with you. Maybe you don't know the Lord but you want to. And we've got a team of prayer warriors that love to pray with you and take care of that need for you, come alongside of you, lift you up. Please avail yourself of it. But for us as the church, let's try and be the happy family that God's called us to be. Time short. No time to be something less than what God's called us to be. Father, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful love, your care your goodness to us. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. Lord, thanks for overlooking uh, those things which other people find so objectionable. God, you cleansed us from all unrighteousness and set our feet upon a rock. You've made us uh, into a, a stable house when we were unstable. And so, God, we thank you for our family. I pray that you'd help us to take our part and to do it well and to be a blessing one to another. Fill this place with your love and your peace. Help us to be joyful. Help us to be praying continually and help us to be thankful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.